0: The passage of scripture that the sermon is based on is from Malachi chapter 1, the first 11 verses. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, How have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations." says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Let's just pause and pray again. Father God, you gave us the Bible because you love us. Thank you. Please, today, speak to us from it. Amen. Uh, We're going to begin today a series of sermons in which we'll be looking at key passages from the Old Testament book of Malachi. Ma- Malachi was a prophet sent by God with a message for the people of Israel um, during what is often called the, the post-exilic period of their history. And you know, what in the world is that? Well, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. The Lord rescued them, brought them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. They lived in the promised land for almost 800 years, during which time they continually struggled with and often gave into this, this uh, temptation to turn their backs on the Lord and to bow down before pagan idols. They just was this continual struggle with the sin of idolatry. Eventually, there were consequences for that sin. And their land was invaded by foreign armies. First the Assyrians, then the Babylonians. And and their land was just completely destroyed. The few people who survived were dragged off as slaves into exile. And we might think at that point, well, that's the end of the story for Israel. It's over. It's it's all done, right? But listen, guys, let me tell you something really amazing about God. God does not give up easily on his people. Some of you maybe feel today, God has given up on me, or somebody you love, God has given up on me. Guys, we have a God who does not give up easily on his people, all right? And so 70 years later, after 70 years of exile, guess what happened? The Lord brought them back again. The Lord redeemed them, ransomed them from, from their exile, brought them back to the promised land. And so they resettled the land. They reestablished the city of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple where the Lord was worshipped. Um, God brought them back. So it's during this post-exilic period, post-exile, after the exile, that God sent this man, Malachi, with a message for his people. And uh, today, as we look at the first part of Malachi's message, uh, there are just three things I want to I talk about. First like to touch on the problem that those people had right so the problem that the people had second the reason for that problem and then thirdly the solution for their problem so the problem the reason for it and then how it could be solved so we'll start with the problem the the problem that the people of malachi's generation were were, dealing with was not idolatry You, you read almost nothing at all about idolatry In the book of Malachi, it's very different than the other prophets. They they I guess 70 years of brutal exile had forever cured them of that weird desire to bow down before, you know, pagan statues. They just they wanted nothing to do with idolatry ever again. They learned their lesson the hard way. They were not going to bow down to pagan idols. They would worship the Lord in Jerusalem, in the temple, just like he said. They would worship the Lord. The problem was they were worshiping the Lord in a half hearted way, kind of lethargic worship. They were just, you could say it this way they were worshiping, but they were just going through the motions. Now, it, the concepts here are, are very foreign to us, all right, because the world was different. And in ancient, in ancient Israel, worshiping the Lord involved bringing animals to the temple in Jerusalem, presenting them to, um, to the priests so that they could be offered in sacrifice. They would bring bulls, they would bring goats, they would bring sheep. And uh, something that was made crystal clear to them in the law of Moses is that whatever animal they brought, for whatever purpose, that animal had to be perfect. A perfect lamb, a perfect goat, without blemish, without, without flaw. We know the reason for that is because all these sacrifices were pointing ahead to the perfect sacrifice, Jesus on the cross, right? But they, they were told, that when you come to God, you come to worship him, they were told, listen, when you go to your flock, whatever lamb you choose, you give God your absolute best. That's what they were to do. Here's what happened. They were worshiping, just like they were supposed to. They were going to Jerusalem, just like Moses said. They were bringing animals just as was their responsibility, but it wasn't their best. The animals they were bringing were, were diseased, blind sheep, sick goats, a cow that you know, can barely stand up anymore. It's going to die in a few minutes anyway. That's, that's what they were worshiping. So they were worshiping the Lord, but their, their worship habits had become lazy, just very complacent, mechanical, dry. They were, they were going through the motions of worship. And... Um, as distant as that time was from today, can you relate to that? I can relate to that. It's not, it's not hard to, listen, we don't, we don't worship by bringing animal sacrifices. That, you know, that ended when the, the perfect sacrifice was offered on the cross. We, we, don't, we don't worship by bringing animals, but you know what? The New Testament says that we do bring sacrifices. It's, the Bible tells us that as Christians, it says we, when we worship, we bring a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, verse, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So, uh, yes, our worship is very different than theirs, but we still worship God. We still bring a sacrifice to him, and it's it's easy for at least me to relate to what those people were struggling with, because it is easy to slip into a habits of worship that are kind of half-hearted, just going through the motions. Yeah, I go to church. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to. I go to church, but only once a month, only twice a month, or I go to church, but I always show up late, or I go to church, but I sit in the back. I cross my arms. I play with my phone. You know, it just, it's easy, right? I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but it's easy. It's easy to go through the motions, but not really um, have healthy, positive, vibrant habits of worship anymore. They say, well, it's easy to do. They did it. We did it. It must not, be very, must not be a serious problem. Look at what God says here. It's a serious problem. God said to the people through Malachi, he said, you, you, you don't realize it? You are showing contempt for my name. They didn't even realize it. How, do, how are we showing you contempt? He said, you're showing contempt for my name. You're defiling my altar. He said, you know, there are sons who treat their father better than you treat me. There are slaves who treat their master better than you treat me. He said, you are, you are defiling, dishonoring me. So this was a serious problem. Now, second point, how did this happen? What was the reason for this problem that they had? Well, um, the, the reason they were just kind of worshiping in this sort of mechanical, dry, half-hearted way... Uh, The the reason, apparently, is because they weren't really feeling the joy of God's love for them anymore. We're just feeling amazed at at God's grace. Here's the way the book of Malachi starts. It says, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you what you ask, how have you loved us? They were questioning God's love. They didn't really, for, for, for whatever reason, they didn't really feel like objects of God's undeserved favor anymore. They didn't, they didn't feel the joy of God's redemption. They just, they didn't really feel God's love for them anymore. So their worship was, re, was reflecting that. They were just, their worship suffered from it. And um, here's what's weird. We're not exactly sure why they didn't feel amazement at god's love anymore Um, a possible answer is we, we don't know the exact date for when malachi was written but many scholars would would some date his message around 75 years after the first hebrews came back from exile all right so malachi was not speaking he was not addressing men and women who knew the hopelessness and despair of living in babylon and who knew the incredible joy of being brought back to the land. He wasn't talking to those people. He was talking to their grandchildren, all right? And so for the, for the two generations later, they, you know, they knew they had been in exile. They knew God had brought them back, but it was just kind of a distant memory. It wasn't just, it didn't amaze them anymore. God rescued us. Um, they weren't thrilled by it, like their grandparents had been. I wonder if you can relate to that. I mean, it's, it's, all right, maybe some of you, you can remember a time in your life when you first came to Christ and the grace of the gospel blew your mind. God loves me. He's rescued me. I've been ransomed. It was amazing, but that was 10 years ago. That was 15 years ago. That was 20. It's just, it just doesn't amaze you anymore. Or maybe some of you um, understand this generationally, just like the people of Malachi's time. You grew up in a Christian home, Thank God that's a good thing. Your parents grew up in a Christian home. Thank God that's a good thing. It was your grandfather who first heard the gospel. It was your grandmother who first came to Christ. You know, And um, you've always wondered, why did old grandpa have so much more zeal for Jesus than I do? Why why, why did grandma have such such confidence in God's word that I don't have it? Um, Could it be because they lived in exile? They knew what it felt like. For you, it's just a distant family memory, right? So for whatever reason, that this is what it was like for the people of Malachi's day. They weren't amazed at the message. They had been justly exiled for their sins, and God brought them back anyway. It didn't thrill them anymore. And so as the result of this, they slipped into these habits of worship. And I would say, if you, I have to explain this. They got into this kind of feedback loop. This endless spiral that you can't get out of, spiraling farther and farther away from God. Let me explain what I mean. Um, Would you agree with this statement? The way we feel shapes the way we worship. So let, let let me explain. Let's say, imagine I woke up this morning and for whatever reason I just felt so much joy in the gospel just I felt the Holy Spirit I felt so much joy that God would love a messed up guy like me that Jesus died for me I just felt I couldn't I could almost not hold back the song I felt so much joy in the Lord don't you think that would affect the way I worship today I mean, I would be in church, I would be early, I would be all prayed up, ready to go. When somebody reads the call to worship, I would listen to it. When they ask me to stand, I would stand. They ask me to sing, I would sing. The pastor preaches, I would take notes. I would just, They invite me to the table, I would be, there would be a spring in my step. The way I feel, the way we feel, shapes the way we worship. We all know that. But also, and this is my point, the way we worship shapes the way we feel so let's imagine that i I woke up this morning and i'm not feeling i'm not feeling it i mean let's say all week long i've really been wrestling with some tough temptations and i've felt i've fallen a few times and i'm i'm really struggling with some doubts and and besides that i have a cold and i have a headache and i didn't get to bed on time last night and i am just not feeling it but it's my habit to go to church so i go to church anyway My habit to be on time, so I get here on time. I sit and I barely drag in. I sit down in the pew. Someone stands up, reads a call to worship. God himself has invited me here. They lead us in prayer. They say, God, you're here with us. Let your presence be known. I hear that. I say, wow, God is here. I don't feel him, but he's here. And they ask us to stand up and sing. And I don't feel like singing, but I stand up and I, and, I, and I can hardly sing. But all these Christian brothers and sisters around me, they're singing. And I hear them singing how good God is and how faithful He is. And, and then someone stands up and they read the scripture. And it's the word of the living God. And it's speaking to me. And then the pastor preaches. And, you know, it's not such a great sermon, but he's telling me that God loves me again. And, and then they invite me to the table. And I actually hold a piece of bread, and I taste some wine, and I, and I just like tangibly remember Jesus died for me. Listen, here's what's going to happen, all right? Has this ever happened to you? I walk in the door of church just because it's my habit to go there. And my heart is like this. It's dead. It's dry. It's cold. But as we go through the rhythm of worship, that old heart of mine starts to beat again comes to life again, and I walk out of here and I say, God is good. So the way we feel shapes the way we worship, and the way we worship shapes the way we feel. You know what that means? If you have good worship habits, they can actually bring you through some pretty hard times. Like if you do the same thing every Sunday, whether you feel like it or not, God can rescue you a lot of times by that. Right? So, um, anyway, here's the cycle. The way we feel affects what we do. The way we do affects what we feel. The way we feel affects what we do. The way we do affects what we feel. Here's the problem with these guys in Malachi's. Somehow they got into a reverse, a reverse spin. They weren't feeling it, so they stopped doing it. Because they weren't doing it, they felt it even less. And they started doing it even less. And they started feeling even less. And you, know, you see what I'm saying? It's this cycle that, 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 that you get into. It's kind of like, um, all right, It's like a Christian who wakes up on a Sunday morning and she's feeling very distant from God. So she says to herself, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I think I will skip church today. What happens? Next week, she feels even more distant from God. So she skips church again. And then she feels even more distant. And she skips again. And here's, this can happen. You get into that vortex. You get into that spiral. And one day you wake up you realize you are 10,000 miles away from the God you used to love. And you don't know how you got there. And what's worse, you don't know how to get back. That's what was happening in Malachi's time. And, you know, listen, years ago, I had some friends who were driving, one day driving through the countryside in Dominican Republic. They drove past this beautiful river, and they said, let's go for a swim. So they pulled over to the side of the road, they got out of the car, they went swimming. They didn't realize they were climbing into that river at a certain place where there was a current that was killer. It was just this whirlpool that would go round and round and round and suck everything under the surface of the water. They all almost died. You get caught in this vortex of not feeling, not doing, not feeling, not doing. It will kill you. It'll kill your soul. I've seen it happen to people so the problem is they're just going through the motions right the the reason somehow they got into this this negative spiral if they didn't feel it so they didn't do it but they didn't do it so they didn't feel it and they couldn't get out of this anymore and maybe you're kind of there today I mean it's happened to the best of us it's happened to me so how do you what's the solution that's my third point the solution I would say this the solution for them was twofold first they needed God to do something for them. God God always takes the initiative. God is the one who starts the rescue. They needed God to do something for them, and secondly, they needed to do something for themselves. So, they needed God to do something. Here's what they needed. They needed God to send someone with a message to remind them that he loved Just assure them. He loved them. And that's exactly what God did by sending Malachi. Listen, um, you know, Pastor Jeffrey told us the book of James was hard. James is bushly compared to Malachi. Malachi is, oh, my goodness, he hits hard. Please remember the very first words in the book of Malachi is God saying to the people, I love you. I have In fact, he doesn't say, I love you. He says, I have loved you, which is a strange, um, it's a strange grammatical uh, form here. And and, and scholars would tell us it's, it's the present perfect, meaning God is expressing a love that is continued in the present based on something that happened in the past. So these people don't deserve God's love, but when he says, I have loved you, he says, this is a love that's continuing today based on something that happened yesterday. So what what is it that happened yesterday for them? What happened in the past for these people? Well, God chose Israel. Centuries before these people were ever born, God chose their nation to be his nation. We, We don't have... We don't have time for me to unpack all of verse 1 through 5, okay? But let me just explain it briefly. There was a nation, a neighboring nation near Israel, that was called Edom, all right? The Edom, Edomites, I almost said the Edom-ups, no, the Edomites, the people of Edom, they descended from a man named Esau. The people of Israel descended from a man named Jacob. Edom came from Esau. Israel came from Jacob. Guess what? Esau and Jacob were twin brothers. All right? So the Edomites and the Israelites came from the very same family tree. They were the exact same kind of people. What kind of people were they? Well, the people of Edom, they were notorious idol worshipers. People of Israel, what have we learned from their history? They also were notorious idol worshipers. The, the Israelites weren't any better than the Edomites. They, they were both groups of people who deserved God's anger. And yet, yet God says to Israel, listen, I chose to love you. I chose, to, I chose you to be my people. I chose to be your God. It, that's what he means when he says, these are kind of hard words. He says, um, I have loved Jacob, but Esau, I have hated I mean, that sounds cold, right? I hate Esau. Um, in, the, in the Hebrew mindset, the language of love and hate, is, it's, a, it's a language more, uh, it means of choosing and rejecting. That's when, when like, remember when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must hate your mother and father. What? He, what does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that you despise them. He means, I, I want you to choose me over them. So the, the language is, it's a language of choosing And rejecting. And and so God is saying to Israel, this is what He's saying through these confusing words. He's saying, Israel, listen, you deserve my anger, you deserve my wrath just as much as any pagan nation around here. But I've chosen to love you. I'm going to love you. I chose to love you. I will never stop loving you. I have chosen you. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that if you're a Christian, these words apply to you. God says, you deserve my anger as much as anyone else in this world, but I have chosen to love you. So they just needed, they needed God to send someone to remind them of that. And if, you, if you're still bothered by this, this language of him hating the people of Edom, um, if it brings you any comfort at all, you should know that at least three times in the book of Malachi, God talks about his plan for the story of his redeeming love to reach all the nations of the entire world world, all right? And another place in, Ma- in Malachi, God tells his people, you must never, ever, ever oppress foreigners or immigrants, all right? So, don't get too hung up on the words here. The, the point of verse 1 through 5 is God sent this guy Malachi just to remind the Israelites, even though you deserve my anger, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now, guys, that is exactly what the cross of Jesus Christ says to us, the the cross of Jesus Christ says that we deserve God's anger and wrath. But God says to you, believer, I love you, I love you, I love you. I sent my son to take the anger you deserve. You're mine. I love you. They just needed, they just needed God. This is what they needed God to do, to remind them of his love for And in case, listen, in case that's what you need, I'm not, I am, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, all right? But I'm a preacher of the gospel, so let me tell you, believer in Christ. You have no idea how much God loves you. You think you do. Ephesians 3 says his love for you is beyond knowledge. You have no idea. He looks upon you with such affection such desire, such love for you. So that's the first thing, to get out of this vortex, this negative spin. They needed God to just send somebody, say, guys, time out. I love you. They needed God to do something for them. And then secondly, they needed to do something for themselves. They had had to take some action here. I, I have, over the years, I've had a number of I've had a number of friends who have been greatly, greatly helped by the recovery movement. Friends in AA, friends in NA, Narcotics Anonymous. And um, in the recovery movement, there's a lot of slogans that they use. And one of the slogans is this. The definition of insanity is doing the things you've always done and expecting different results. All right, that's just something they say. That's, it's insane to keep doing what you've always done and, and, and somehow expect things are going to change. And, and basically, God is saying, guys, you need to change your habits. You need to change your worship habits. That's what, this is what God means in verse 10. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, that you wouldn't light useless fires on my altar. What does God mean? I don't want you to worship me anymore? No. He means I want you to change the way you worship me. I want you to change something. So they they needed to just do something to break the cycle. Pick a nice lamb for a change, pick a nice goat, do something to get off this ever spinning uh, thing that they were caught in. And so they needed to make a change. And I wonder, oh, the season of Lent is perfect for this. I wonder if there are any changes, just practical change that you need to make, and by the way, uh, Lent is not in the Bible. You don't have to. You don't have to practice it if you don't want to. Just like Christmas, not in the Bible. You don't have to celebrate Christmas. But it's a tradition that can be very, very helpful. I, I grew up. I grew up. We didn't do Lent. It was a Catholic thing. Works righteousness. It doesn't have to be that. All right. It's just. It's a season of renewal in the life of the church where you make a decision to. Just to adopt some discipline in your life for forty days. Just. To, break out of a cycle maybe like yeah I'm going off Facebook for Lent right I'm sick of it some of the things you guys are posting I can't take it anymore or no TV for Lent or I'm going to fast once a week or you know um, for the season of Lent I am going to attend the secret prayer meeting that goes on at ACC on Sunday mornings you didn't know there's a secret prayer meeting don't tell anyone but after this service, before the start of the next one, there's a group that prays upstairs. And um, you might just say, you know, for Lent, I'm going to go pray with them. I'm going to stay a little later. I'm going to come earlier if I, I'm at the second service. So you do just, I don't care what it is, but do something. Do something to break the cycle, to break bad habits, to build. So God is saying to them, listen, I love you. Isn't it amazing that we have a God who is not happy with us just going through the motions? If God didn't care, he would say, I don't care. I don't really love you. I don't even know who you are. Just, I just want people down there worshiping me. This is not the way God is. He says, I really, really love you. Do you have any idea how close I want us to be? Let's stop playing these games. Let's change something. And and, and so these These words of Malachi, they sound harsh, but oh my goodness, God's purpose is not to condemn. God is wanting to bring this incredible revival that would start there in Jerusalem and spread through the world. That's why he says, verse 11, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. He's, he's like he's saying to Israel, if you guys would just come back to me. What I would do here in Jerusalem Would even affect people over there in Eden. I mean, something would happen here that would reach the world. So, here's my challenge. Let's uh, let's receive. Will you receive this message? God loves you. If you're trusting in Christ, would you please stop beating yourself up? You're forgiven. And and then would you pray, God, what's something I can do to break these habits? I want to be close to you. Amen? Let's, uh, Let's pray together. God, thank you that you call us back. You want us close. You love us dearly. Give us grace to respond.